1-0. Fly ball. Out to left. It's hit well. And it is gone. And we are tied in the ninth. Danny Jansen delivers a game-tying two-run home run in the ninth. Blue Jay fans explode out of their seats. Nathan Lucas loops one down the left field line. Fair ball into the corner. Varsho's got good speed. He's on his way around third, coming home, and he's going to score! Nathan Lucas with his biggest moment in the big leagues delivers a go-ahead double for the Blue Jays in the 10th, and it's 4-3 Toronto. The 1-1. Ground ball to the right side. Merrifield's got it. Over to first to finish the ball game. What a series for the Toronto Blue Jays. They were left for dead. Danny Jansen gave them life with a game-tying home run the ninth, and Nathan Lucas came through in his biggest moment in the major leagues with a go-ahead RBI double, and the Blue Jays pick up the lead in the 10th, and they win it 4-3. Woo! I got to be honest. That was probably the most comical way you could end a first half before the All-Star break. No question. My goodness. Daniele Franceschi alongside Jesse Rubinoff, the fan morning show. Yes, this is where it's not Ailish. It's not Justin. <laughs> they get the reprieve of being able to actually sleep and have a normal life for once. So you get Jesse and I on a Monday, bright and early. Jesse walked in. He said, oh, boy, it's a little early. I said, yeah, I try and doing this every day. Yeah, no, producer Armin made the point that it feels like you're getting up to go to the airport. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's the only other time that I see these hours. So, but I love it. I'm happy to be here. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, the Blue Jays must be happy. I mean, they go into the break. They win Two of three in Detroit. They get an Alec Manoa return. First off, this is supposed to be the slowest week in the sports mm -hmm. calendar. Thankfully, we've got a lot of content because we had a wonderful weekend. There was a lot of baseball. There was also the draft last night. There was Canada soccer almost pulling off an incredible win. What would have been a momentous win against the United States. Close, but no cigar. But we got to, of course, we got to start with the, with the Jays, Jesse. And two of three. That game yesterday, 4-3, winning, extra innings, going to, going to 10 Pulling off first off, the clip rolled, and credit to Josh. Nathan Lucas, my God, he looked even surprised that he hit the ball and laced the double. I was my first reaction yesterday. So he paused. I was like, oh, my God, it fell in. Like, it was it was incredible. So I let's start there because that win felt like a microcosm for the season up until this point. Yeah, because you're pulling your hair out the entire game, and then suddenly they find a way to win. And there's You look at it, and you're thinking there's just no chance in coming off – Two days ago, before the no-hitter, they had 12 runs, 14 hits, and then they go and get no-hit. And you're like, well, <laughs> well, well, I don't understand. Which which team is this? Like, wh where does the offense come from? And then they can't hit the ball, and then it's a second day in a row where they can't make contact. And you're thinking to yourself, like, what is this team? Who are they? <laughs> like, they've played for three-plus months now, and you can't figure out who the Toronto Blue Jays are. And then suddenly, out of absolute nowhere, nowhere, Danny Jansen comes through. I mean, I shouldn't say nowhere because Danny Jansen is incredibly I clutch. He's got a knack for that. He, yeah. he does have a little bit of a knack for that. He's been incredibly clutch so far this season. But it's just another example of just, baseball is a funny game. And you can win in different ways. And the Toronto Blue Jays, this year's iteration at least, are finding different ways to win. Previous years, it was with power. And this year, it's pitching and defense. And the offense is sketchy, to say the least. I know we're going to give our midseason grades yep. a little bit later in the show, but it's definitely sketchy. And there's not a lot of room when you're watching for, okay, they're going to do it here. There's not a lot of belief 
a lot of the games because they, they haven't been able to string it together. And I'm sitting there watching the game yesterday. And I thought there was no chance they were winning that baseball game. Oh, couldn't no agree. No chance. hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Also, especially when they get into a position where they're trailing late in a ball game, you're just like, all right, wrap it up. Like wash our hands clean of this and that's let's it. get ready for John Schneider post game. So oh, let's, let's flush it and move on tomorrow. Like I just, and that's which one of said, my, pe- which he says after every, every single, loss. every time he's yeah. on Saturday, they get no hit. Ah, well, you know, it's the big leagues. It yeah. happens. So, John, you got no hit. It doesn't happen every day. It's sort of kind of unique and it's pretty bad that it comes against a lowly team. That's 10 games under 500. I even forgot to the, about the no hitter of all mm. things. My goodness. So yes, they go from one extreme to the next. They sandwich a no hitter in between of all things. So you get Manoa, you get a no hitter and you get this wild comeback at the end, uh, late in the game on Sunday, they had uh, up through six innings. It was Whit Merrifield who had two hits, mm-hmm. two hits. They scored four runs on three combined hits the rest of the way, which is crazy to think that they come away from that game where they had no business winning it. They kind of steal it on the road and here they are all-star break. 50 and 41. It's pretty bizarre. The weekend as a whole, I would say there's, this is how I would summarize it. Jekyll and Hyde. I even wrote it in my notes that you talked about the offense and the approach up until Jansen whips that two run homer to tie the game in the ninth. I wrote juvenile approach, (laughs) juvenile approach. Like how is this team going out there? They had up until what that point, one, one run of offense over two games, which is crazy to me. But here we are, and this is a reality. I just, I, I don't, I do not understand this team. I just keep making the same comparison over and over and over again to the Toronto Raptors and how they're just difficult to watch at times, mm. the Toronto Blues. We saw with the Raptors this past season, couldn't shoot. And when you can't shoot in the NBA, that's going to cause you some problems. And it's not always going to be the most aesthetically pleasing product. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, when you're not hitting on runs or you're not scoring runs at a crazy clip that they are still scoring and they are still getting hits. They're actually up there in terms of oh, batting yeah. average in yep. majors, but they're not cashing in guys uh, with runners in scoring position. So sometimes it just looks like not a great on-field product yeah. because you want to see it's an entertainment business and you want to see runs being scored. But at the end of the day, wins matter the most and it's not necessarily how you do it, but how many you can get. And I, I sitting there watching the team, I, I think you could look at this record and say it feels like their record is probably 10 to 15 games better than what the actual feeling yes. of watching this team actually is like 50 and 41. It, they, it could flip that around. And that is what it feels like to me. No question. I couldn't agree more. It's also stunning to me. They have five all-stars now. Romano was added as a late, replacement. He was yeah. a replacement yep. yesterday for, for Framber Valdez, but five guys and Kevin Gosman said, thank you, but I ain't going. That was his thing on the weekend. He's like, I appreciate the, the kind invitation. Thank you very much, but I'm going to stay at home. So they, that's technically Vladdy Whit Merrifield, Bo Bichette, uh, Jordan Romano and Kevin Gosman. But it all of that. When you put it all together, it, like you said, it really doesn't feel that way. And it almost, it feels like this is a team that in a lot of ways, and, and I want to pose this question to the text line as well. Mm-hmm. If there was one word to describe this first half or this unofficial first half leading into the all-star break, how would you describe it? How would you describe the J season up until this point? And the word that kept popping into my mind, at least feel free to text it in five ninety five ninety, unfulfilling. Yeah. They're nine games over, but it was, it's unfulfilling the, the like to your point, you watch them. It's a hard watch. There's a lot of awkwardness there. Nathan, even Nathan Lucas has a moment. It's fourth major league hit, his second career RBI. And I was like, oh boy, God almighty. Is that going to drop? Oh, it dropped in. Oh my God. You know what it is? It doesn't feel like it's 
sustainable. That's why. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're relying on Danny Jansen clutch home runs and, and Nathan Lucas balls that are dropping in over the right field line. Like that. that's not what you anticipated this season being. And I think credit to the front office, they put together a roster. There were reasons why the expectations were very high for this team. But for whatever reason, you put the, some of the parts together, it hasn't been good enough, which yep. is hilarious to say because they're currently <laughs> in a playoff spot. I guess the more fair description would be it hasn't been what you would expect. If I was to think of one word to describe the season so far, it would be it would be maddening because you feel like they should be up there with the race based on the talent, but the offense, they just have not been able to put it together. But the offense, you can look at that, but on the other side, the pitching and defense and the bullpen, those things are papering over the offensive deficiencies pretty significantly. Again, the bullpen yesterday. Oh, nails. Like unbelievable. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're coming into the season and, and you think, okay, if there's going to have to be an area at the trade deadline where the Blue Jays are going to have to address, you're thinking, okay, for a third straight trade deadline, it's probably going to have to be the bullpen. And yeah, they might decide to add to it because you could never have too many bullpen arms. But again, yesterday, Six innings, yep. two hits, no earned runs, no walks, seven strikeouts for the bullpen. And this is a bullpen that's fifth in the majors in ERA. And I don't think anybody would have anticipated the Blue Jays bullpen being one of the best in the majors, but that has helped paper, paper over the deficiencies in the offensive season. It's been great. And you mentioned the starting pitching. Yep. Their top three in quality starts in baseball. Big reason Kevin Gosman deserves a lot of credit. Oddly enough, and I mean, he got he, obviously no run support. They didn't get a single hit for him on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> they literally did nothing. He, he doesn't get any run support. But Kevin he's he's anyway. got the second lowest average run support in baseball. It's like yeah. three runs a game that the Jays are averaging in his starts, which is crazy because he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. Sad, sad for him. It's very yeah. sad. It's unfortunate <laughs> for a guy that's in the Cy Young conversation. Yeah. Every time he goes out there, it's like, I got to throw perfect in order to have a chance to win games here. Saturday, I got I have one one major quibble. Saturday was embarrassing. Yeah. My major quibble, Jesse. Kevin Biggio hitting fifth. I do not know which khaki, as as Kevin Barker calls them, the khakis, which khaki is responsible for that, but they deserve that's a fireable offense. Like, how is fireable. Kevin Biggio hitting higher in the lineup than Whit Merrifield, who hits leadoff the next day? It makes that made no sense to me. I was scratching my head and I was just like, oh boy, that's another one where. I mean, I don't know how you justify it. Talk about sustainability. The fact that we're we're there still, we're at a point, and this is the, this is the part that's frustrating. You're seeing Kevin Biggio get rolled out every mm-hmm. almost every other day in this lineup, and that's why to me it's unfulfilling. Because you, and you look at the group and you're saying, all right, there's a lot more to extract here. There's yeah. still a lot more to extract here, but at the same time, there's a lot of flaws, and that's why I think the record in a lot of ways, is deceiving. We're going to do our grades momentarily, but I do want to pivot this conversation into Manoa because I yeah. thought that was a, the, maybe the biggest story. They get no hit. They take the two of three. They kind of steal the two of three. But Manoa on Friday, and we talked about it all week last week. Here he is. He's coming back. Two minor league starts. Has the stint after the demotion. I mean, what did you make of his return on Friday night against the Tigers? You know the meme? I think I got my swagger back. Mm. That felt to me like it was a good description for Alec Manoa. I, I, I could, honestly, I'm just happy for him that he had sort of the joy back pitching from the mound because it, it felt like earlier this season, that's something that escaped him and something that he feeds off of. He's a, feels like a, a big energy guy when he's hopping around on the mound, sort of like Marcus Stroman was back in the day. That's when he's at his best. 
But when he was getting knocked around, there's no jumping around on the mound. There's no smiling. There's no uh, shimmying after strikeouts. There's, there's none of that. But I feel like he got a little bit of that back, which is very key because his stuff was okay. It wasn't mm-hmm. great. His velocity on the fastball was still down a little bit. The slider was you no know, hits off the slider, which is a, a big step in the right direction. But I just think the joy was missing from Alec Manoa. And when he was able to limit the de- the damage to the first couple of innings, got to the third could have potentially run into some issues in the third, but didn't let it spiral under control, which is a very, very good sign. I think from there, he was able to say, okay, this is going to be a little bit different than the other previous starts that I had prior to going down. And we can move forward from this as a step in the right direction. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I thought the swagger was the biggest thing, and you could see it sort of even building as the start progressed where he got more and more and more confident. He comes out in the first a little bit shaky. You could see the energy was there. He made some adjustments. Like, if we talk about the actual stuff, to your point, slider, eh, a little bit better. Not yeah. not much appreciably better, I would say. Fastball, velocity unchanged compared to when he came back or when he was with, on the major league roster prior to the, to the demotion. But he goes six. He gives up five hits, only one run, and, and strikes out eight. And the biggest thing, I thought, was not walking anybody. Yeah. Because that was a huge issue. The command was a huge problem for him. 19 first pitch strikes out of the 23 batters he faced. Him, yeah. Exactly. Which is a, so I thought there were a lot of important positive steps taken for him. Now, the, the natural caveat, a lot of people say, well, it's, it was Detroit. And that is, it's a feeble lineup. I get it. It's still a major league lineup. That's mm-hmm. that, that would be my only, my only pushback to those, uh, to those people that are skeptical is that, Hey, it is still a major league lineup. Yeah, Jay's got no hit the next day. hundred percent. John Schneider would say, Hey, it's, it's it a happens. major league. It happens. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but no, seriously. And I, I, that's why I would say there's a lot of encouraging signs there. And, uh, but the biggest the biggest thing was that his confidence seemed to be at least back, and he looked like, to your point, the joy was there. Even seeing him smile in the dugout there in between innings and after he finished his start, you could see it was almost like a relief. It was a big swing. That was the, like It was a big gamble for them. Yeah. Huge gamble for them to bring him up at this juncture. It paid off. I had a conversation with one of my coworkers, um, or one of our coworkers, uh, the day before the start of Manoa. And I said, what do you think constitutes a good start? And he said, yeah, six innings, yeah. one earned run. Oh. I said, well, a six innings, one earned run? That, like, <laughs> what? Like, that's that's an excellent start yeah. for Alec Manoa. And he said, no, I'm feeling it. I think that's what's going to happen. And I said, well, if Manoa can go like five and give up three runs. I think I'd be pretty satisfied, step in the right direction. And lo and behold, he was right. Uh, Victor, shout out, because six <laughs> six innings, one run is exactly what you got from Alec Manoa. But I think moving forward, I think we still have to temper the expectations because we just had the conversation about the stuff. The stuff still needs a little bit of work, oh, yeah. and he's not going to go against the Detroit Tigers every single start out. So he's still going to have to get a little bit better here. The stuff's going to have to improve from here on out. And I think if they can get the five innings, three runs from Manoa every fifth day, what it does for the rest of the team, for the rest of the rotation, to save the bullpen, this is huge. You've heard Kevin Gossman talk about the workload and Chris Bassett talk about the workload. And Trevor Richards was making starts, and now he's able to go back to the bullpen. So the trickle-down effect from having a serviceable Alec Manoa, you don't even need him nope. to be at his Cy Young level. You just need a serviceable pitcher because the rest of the rotation has been able to carry the slack. You need a healthy and rested to some extent bullpen yep. and the rest of the pitchers on in the starting rotation to continue to do what they've been doing 
and you're going to be okay. You're going to give your team more often than not a chance to win. And that's basically all you can ask for to expect Alec Manoa of last year to return. I think is wishful thinking and too much to ask for, but if you can get five and three runs or six and four runs, I think there's a ways around that, that you can make it work on Friday. I was filling in for JD and mm-hmm. I said five and dive and you'd be happy. Yeah, exactly. And instead they got six and a quality start. So I think, I mean, you could just about as well as they could have drawn it up. Like that was ideal in a lot of ways. The stuff needs to improve clearly. Like, I think it's clear. He's, he left a lot of stuff over the plate. The, the his, He was struggling arm side with his slider and changeup. His actually, his delivery looked a lot better, like more, more fluid. fluid yeah. It was a lot quicker too. Definitely. It was, you can notice that he had better tempo to his delivery, which made a difference. It seemed, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I felt like it was a big risk. But given what we heard from all those guys you named and Barrios being another guy where they're skipping bullpens and they're not complaining, but you heard them mention numerous times about the, the tax, the how taxing it was having only a four man rotation. Essentially it was, it was like they had almost no choice. They, or at least they felt they didn't have a choice that it was, they were tempted to bring them back, even if it was early. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that philosophy. I'm just happy it didn't come back to bite them mm-hmm. because my concern going in was what if it goes terribly wrong, which it didn't, but what if it would have went terribly wrong? What happens then? What is the next recourse for this? And quite frankly, they didn't have, I don't think they had one. Like, yeah. I think this was it. Like, that's what makes me uncomfortable 100%. about this whole situation, right? Because what's, what's left. There's nothing in the cupboards. There's no reinforcements except unless you're banking on Hunjin Ryu, which as Hey, he made another rehab start yesterday. Good for him uh, in high A, looking good. Don't get carried away. Don't, exactly. Like, don't let's not get carried away because the last time we saw him on a major league mountain, he struggled and it's been over a year since he's pitched. So to think that he's going to come in and be the savior of this rotation or would have filled that void. I don't know. I think it's wishful thinking. And Manoa gives you still, I think, a higher upside compared to that, even right now. Yeah, I, I think. If Manoa comes back and struggles, it exposes, or even if he doesn't, it exposes the front office for not building up the depth in the starting rotation. Like, that's just a fact of the matter because you look at how great the performances have been elsewhere in the pitching rotation. What would it ha- what happens if someone gets hurt? Exactly. What do you do? Yes. And to this point, it's been crazy that they've been in, managed to stay as healthy as they've been, right? So the only reason the pitcher in the starting rotation has missed starts is because of performance, because Manoa wasn't yep. good enough. They've been so healthy. What yep. was the plan? You have to anticipate that someone's got Mitch White. That's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> so what what are they going to do? It's it, You're going to be looking at, I think, if, if Ryu or Manoa struggle ahead of the August 1st trade deadline, you're going to be looking at another journeyman because they don't have enough to Correct. go and get a big fish. Yep. They don't have it. Like you said, the cupboard's bare. This is not the same farm system that you had in previous years. According to fan graphs, it's 24 <laughs> in baseball. Yeah. Like that's, that's not good enough. Right. So I'm just, I'm a little surprised that nothing was done even to this point with Manoa being down in the minors for a month. I'm surprised nothing was done to supplement the pitching rotation because you're still left in a situation here where if any one of the guys that are in the rotation gets injured, what do you do? You're just going to bring back Trevor Richards and be in the same spot. And, and all your players are telling you that it's taxing. Like you have to address it somehow. And granted there is still three weeks until the, the trade deadline, but that is 
a, a glaring need for this team moving forward. I would think they've been able to get away with it so far, but I think it's asking a little bit too much. What happens if after August 1st, someone gets hurt? Yeah. Then what do you do? That, exactly. Like who starts? Yep. Yeah, you're going to be in the stretch run in September and not have a fifth starter. Trevor Richards. Like, it make, I know it doesn't make any sense. No, I agree. I, I, I couldn't agree more. They, and speaking of which you brought up how, Look, they've, and this is the part that's actually a bit scary is is the fact that they haven't had really an injury. It wasn't until Manoa had to go down for performance based reasons that they had their they had to use a sixth starter. Correct. Right, everybody else has been there, present and accounted that's for, right. and consistent for the most part. Kikuchi even delivering as a bit of a revelation for you, where you had huge red flags and question marks about him coming in, and then the rest of the, those guys have been. Flawless. They've stabilized your rotation. Barrios has come in and has rebounded nicely from last year. So you've checked all those boxes with all these guys. But that is probably the most concerning part is you actually haven't had to deal with a situation where you could say, well, our team hasn't been whole yet. No, they have been whole. Mm-hmm. And look at what happened even over the last two days. George Springer being on the paternity list. How that lineup looks drastically different. <laughs> My God, the holes in that lineup. When you remove one guy. So imagine, speaking of which, imagine removing one piece of that puzzle from the lineup. What that does to that team. Because my goodness, you look at the lineup yesterday and the lineup on Saturday, you're saying, and maybe that's why Kevin Biggio ends up hitting fifth. But you're looking there and you're saying, oh my God, this is this is, this is is horrible. This would be awful if somebody gets hurt or for whatever reason somebody's really struggling you're putting so much weight on just a few small number of guys that it's hard to sustain that and to and to have a high ceiling as a team yeah. because your lineup is not threatening once you get past the top three, four guys in your order. No, it's a great point, and the lineup hasn't been threatening at all with everybody healthy, and I think it puts like an undue amount of pressure on the big bats in the lineup to perform when you have holes like that. You have a situation where George Springer goes on the paternity list. Like, who's going to score? And you're and you saw exactly what you saw that manifest itself. Who is going to score? <laughs> you need to have bigger bats in the lineup, and you have to have the big bats perform. And for a large port, part portion of the season, you've had Vladimir Guerrero. I guess underwhelming would probably be a word. Although you look at his numbers, and it's not it's not horrible. It's just not. I think what. Blue Jays fans expected, but it, you you need Bobachet to be as good as Bobachet is advertised. You need Vladimir Guerrero to be as good as he can possibly be. You need George Springer when he's around to contribute probably more than he's done. You need all of these contributions yep. because the lineup is not as deep as you probably would have thought. You remove one piece, like you said, and that pressure ratchets up even more on the guys that are in the middle of the order. And I think that's a difficult way to win baseball games. Oh, very difficult. It puts so much, and we've talked about it, it puts so much pressure yeah. on your pitching. Look at what this, the, the meat of the order, the heart of this Jays order, what they did over the weekend, over the, I would say Saturday and Sunday specifically. Bo went 0 for 7. This is without George Springer in the lineup. Bo goes 0 for 7. Vlad 0 for 7. Kirk 0 for 7. Belt 0 for 3 on Saturday. I mean, that's essentially the heart of your order. Chapman had a nice game yesterday. He was hitless, of course. Everybody was hitless on Saturday. But aside from that, who else are you banking on to provide offense, right? It's a very uninspiring lineup. And the problem is, as we touched on, and we'll, we'll transition this into our grades here too, but the problem is you don't have the assets to actually supplement the lineup further and quite frankly, mm-hmm. if like I, I guess if we let's start, let, why don't we start here? If we look at the snapshot, nine games over, right in a playoff spot. But if I asked you, what are they missing, Jesse? Like if I said right now, what is the difference between this team being a fringe playoff team and actually being a contender right now, come October? What are the pieces they are missing that you would say, yep, yeah, if they go out and do this at the trade deadline, 
This is going to vault them over the top. Power. Okay. Which is exactly what they had last year, and then they subtract yeah. it. <laughs> which I don't necessarily think is is that fair because the front office basically listened to the fan base. The fan base was telling you last year that they wanted, well, if you need to subtract some power in favor of defense, then let's do it. And that's exactly what the front office went out and did. But now after seeing the results through the first half of the season, I think fans are like, eh, maybe we should have <laughs> kept some of the power because the Blue Jays don't hit home runs and it's not as fun yep. and it's not as inspiring to watch and that sort of thing. So yeah, if you can go out and get a power bat, but I, I realize that that is not necessarily something that's going to happen because how do you get a power bat when you don't have the prospect capital to go and do it? So I just think what you see is what you get with this team. You're going to need the approach to change in the second half they're going to have to get better offensively if they're going to win. Like, yes, they can Agreed. continue to win with pitching and defense and oftentimes come playoff time. That is how you win. But something's got to give here with the offense where you can't have these games where you, you need seven singles in a row to score. Like that's, that's not a sustainable way to play baseball. And I think people probably overlooked that when they said, okay, we'll sacrifice some power. <laughs> for better pitching and better defense and a more professional, mature approach, right? Because that's yep. what everyone was saying last year. Oh, yeah. Stop smiling. Yes. Stop too with much the fun. jacket. Too much fun. All this stuff. We're good. So they brought in Kevin Kiermeyer. They brought in Brandon Belt. Yeah. They brought in Dalton Varsho for his defense and bet probably better offense than he's provided them so far. But they made the changes that the fan base is clamoring for, which you don't always see. You often see the front office trying to sell the fan base yep. something that's their vision. But they actually went out and changed the team fundamentally uh, from what it was previously. But it it is it's crazy to say this because they're nine games over 500, but it has not worked out as they envisioned. No question. Uh, it's a good point. They went out. They did to have a fundamental paradigm shift with yes. their vision and approach. And it, yeah, it's, it's it has, so it hasn't bizarre. Worked. Also, I mean, yeah, it is bizarre. I mean, <laughs> it's so weird. Ross, that game's over five hundred. Yeah, we're sitting here. We're like, oh, doom and yeah. gloom I, in a lot of ways. But no, it's it's fair. Uh, before we assign our letter grades, yeah, why don't we hear from John Schneider, the skipper, in terms of how he feels about his team right now, heading into the All Star break. We've put ourselves, you know, right in the middle of a playoff hunt, and I think that there's things that we can all, you know, collectively say we could be a little bit more consistent at. But, I mean, the guys, you know, when you look back at the last, what, 91 games, is it? 92? I mean, it, 91? I mean, it's, it's, it's been a battle. You know, we've been on the road a lot, and, you know, it's been, it's been a grind, you know. So I think to be in this position is great. You know, enjoy the time off and, and hopefully, you know, hit the ground running when we do get home. But it's been, yeah, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster, but such is life in the big leagues. Such is life. He forgot how many games they played. <laughs> yeah. John forgot how many games they played. John, it's 91. Takes it day to day to day. Yeah, I, I kind of respect that. Away. Okay, yeah. Live, I mean, in the, live in the moment. Yeah, well, he flushed half of them. So <laughs> really, no, that's what happened. Um, all right, let's start with offense, Jesse. I'll turn it over to you. Let's let's get your letter grading here. I think you're going to be more generous to me, but let's start with the offensive side of the ball. You think so? Yeah, I do. What, uh, do, you, what do you got? All right, offense, I'm going C. Oh, okay, we're which, identical. <laughs> which it feels like they should be an F, but when you look into the numbers, they're actually like, they're just average. Yes, they they're are. They're an average offense. Like they're fifth in hits, sixth in average, which is good, 25th in strikeouts which is kind of ridiculous when you watch this team, but then they're 22nd and with runners in scoring positions, 16th in home runs, 16th in RBI. I think we focus a lot on the bad because of, of the difference 
in watching this team from previous years, but they're just a, a kind of a middling average offense. What you see is what you get. You're going to need more contributions from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So the definition of average when it comes to letter grades is C. So that's why I'm giving it a C. <laughs> C average. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I would say if I had a C in school, I'd be pretty. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I agree with you. I, I see is my grade as well. Bad with runners in scoring position. That's been a big bugaboo for them all year. Yeah. Power is down, and the approach has been inconsistent. I said juvenile. I wrote it down. I will I will stand by that. The offenses look feeble at times and anemic like it did for most of yesterday too. So C is my letter grade. Defense, what do you got? Defense, A-. minus. Okay. According to fan graphs, the Blue Jays are number one in defensive runs saved. They're basically exactly how the front office envisioned mm -hmm. this defense. But Kiermaier and Varsho, both in the top 10, depending on what site you look at in defensive runs saved individually, could be in the top five. 13th in the league in errors, eighth in stolen bases allowed. Look, they wanted to make defense a priority this year, and they have succeeded for the most part. I look at Bo Bichette. Even he is getting yes. better at shortstop. So there have been improvements from what you had as holdovers from previous years, but also the guys that you brought over have done a lot to stabilize the offense. And I think that's a real good thing moving forward for the Toronto Blue Jays. The defense has been great. I, I, I agree completely. I, I gave him a B plus. Uh, the defense has been better in the outfield with, yeah. with those new additions and those changes. No question about it. Moving Springer to right field as well. Seems like he's found a real comfort zone out there, which oddly enough, people forget. He actually played a lot more right field in Houston than he did center field. Mm -hmm. So everybody anointed him as a starting he's center been, fielder. He's been fabulous there. He's been awesome. Yeah. And he actually has a better track record in playing in right than in center, even dating back to his Houston days. So I couldn't agree more. The infield, I mean, when you go look from left to right, I mean, Vladdy's made himself a gold glove caliber first baseman. Coming off the gold glove yeah, last I didn't even year, say Chapman, right? Chapman on the hundred percent, <laughs> and Chapman at the hot corner. He's been yeah. so good consistently. That's the biggest asset you have in terms of what he brings to the table is how good he is defensively. So that's definitely one of their strengths. Now there are a lot of miscues still that occur, and they they've struggled at times with with uh, managing base runners. There's no doubt about that. Feel like that's a little bit more on the pitching too, in terms yeah. of their delivery to the plate and holding runners. But aside from that, defensively, it's the 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 changes that they made have paid dividends in that regard because they have been better. Uh, the front office. This is a very. I thought this was an interesting one. The front office. How would you grade the way the front office has constructed this roster? Perhaps some of the changes and moves that they've made up until this point, or lack thereof. How would you assess their performance? This one was the most difficult to assess <laughs> of all the letter grades. I gave them a B minus. Oh. Okay. They did a solid job replacing Ross Stripling with Chris Bassett. Yep. You could argue that it was more than solid. Uh, the Varsho deal, I think, is far too early to say. But he, like I said, with the defensive run saved, that is what they wanted from him. They just need him to contribute a little bit more with the bat. Obviously, Kevin Kiermaier, I think, has come in and stabilized things as well. The bullpen has been fantastic, which I think a lot of people prior to the season were on the front office about. And the front office said, hey, we think we have the horses, and so far that has paid dividends as well. Now, here's where things go a little bit south for me, and the reason it's not any higher than a B- minus is because, as we talked about, the depth behind the Alec Manoa situation really, really got exposed, and the fact that they're 50 and 41 while dealing with their ace being down in the Florida Complex League is unbelievable, but you need to address the starting pitching moving forward because it's not something that's sustainable. At the same time, Fangraphs giving them 24th in farm system rankings means that there isn't that much there. And who's responsible for the farm system? 
it's the front office. Mm-hmm. So when I'm looking at the negatives, it's depth. It's the building up of the farm system, which I think has left a lot to be desired. And there have been high expectations from this team, and rightfully so. They're in a playoff spot. They've done a solid job, and solid to me is B-. minus. Okay. Go for you it. You were generous. Yeah, okay. A little bit more than I was. A, a C. Okay. The only thing I could come the, – the main, main thing I had was flawed roster construction. Flawed roster construction, too many holes up and down the lineup. So I asked you the question earlier, what are they missing? You said power. When I look at I'm like, so power is, is encompasses part of my answer. They don't have a true cleanup hitter. So they're missing a guy. Where, where are those 25 homers and 100 stakes coming from? They're not there right now. They're missing a, a still. They're still missing swing and miss in the bullpen, and a true power arm that can be a legitimate eighth inning guy. Eric Swanson to me is nice as a seventh inning guy. Mm-hmm. He's he should not be your setup guy. I think you can make do with Jordan Romano as your closer. He's been. Awesome the last no, they couple Jimmy, years. They thought Jimmy was the eighth. Wow. Well, you know, and, and they, hasn't worked clearly out. they thought wrong. Yeah. Because uh, Jimmy has not been very good. And so I think they, but I even coming into the season, I still felt that way too about you're missing swing and miss. You're, you're missing the power arms in the back end of your bullpen still, because we still had, we had Adam Simber and Trevor Richards and these guys that aren't exactly the most inspired. And you know what? In fact, they, even to some extent, Nate Pearson has come on to actually really buoy the, that bullpen. That's really he's helped. really helped Definitely. them a lot because he's been a reliable asset back there. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? High leverage or not, depending, like he's been serviceable. So that's been a huge, a huge hit for them. But to me, it goes back to looking at the lineup. There are too many holes. When Brandon Belt is hitting third in your order, all due respect, all due respect to Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, you're not winning anything. Let me ask you a question. Did you think the roster construction was as flawed as you think it is right now coming into the season? Yeah, I had very Did you? major concerns. Yeah. Major concerns about it because of the lack of offense and this natural assumption that these guys were just all of a, all of a sudden, a lot of these guys outside of, first off, there was a lot of weight being placed on uh, Bo, Vlad, and George Springer, mm-hmm. right? Those three guys saying, well, if they play up to their capabilities, they'll be fine Still to is. carry the offense, yeah. right? But that being said, when you put so much pressure on three guys to perform and there's nine guys in your lineup, it, it then makes it easier for the opposing team to also lock in on those three guys. Look at, they have no protection for Vlad. And that's part of, I think, the issue is, yeah, he's had his struggles, but if you're not if you're not supplying him with the appropriate protection and insulating him correctly, how is he going to get pitches that he can hit? How can he take advantage of situations where he's got runners on base with Vladdy? It's not even about the average or anything for me. It's about, it's, it's not, it's not even about what the production is. It's when the production comes, it's about not having empty calories when he's driving in runs, when they're up a bunch or down a bunch. It's about being in situations like we saw against Oakland or, or in big moments where, you're down a couple runs and you need a big hit and you get a couple runners on and he can deliver in that situation, but they don't have the pieces around him right now, insulating him Bo, that are allowing them to really, really excel and capitalize on their run producing potential. So that's a big flaw for me. You know, Kevin Barker said last year, Alejandro Kirk was their cleanup hitter for most of the year last year. He said it very early on in the season. If Kirky is your cleanup hitter, you're not winning anything. Mm-hmm. And I still think that holds true today. If Brandon Bell's hitting third in your lineup, you're not winning anything, whether he's third or cleanup or whatever. Varshow hit cleanup on opening day. Like how we had this, everybody just had this natural assumption that he was going to go from being this 220 hitter with 20 home runs. He's, he's on pace to do what he did last year for the most part. 
and all of a sudden become this guy that's hitting 250, 260. Same thing with Matt Chapman. A career, what, 240, 250 hitter? All of a sudden he's going to be this this godsend offensively? It just it doesn't work that way. And, in fact, he gave them a lot in April. <laughs> but it just doesn't happen that way. That's why I had a lot of question marks coming in, and I felt like they they subtracted offense, but they didn't replace it adequately enough to give them a, a true whole roster. I think that's fair. I think they probably were expecting more from Dalton Varsho specifically because you, you look 27 home runs a year ago, which actually is more than Tosca Hernandez had a yep. year ago. So you're when you think about that, just what you're adding and what you're subtracting, you think you should get around the same production. And that obviously has not transpired exactly how the Blue Jays front office envisioned. So uh, to your point, the the power is not there, and I don't see how it's going to come, which makes me think scoring runs is going to be difficult for this team no matter what. Runs are going to come at a premium, but it's about can you paper over the offensive deficiencies with the pitching, yep. and they have been able to do that so far, and that's why they're 50 and 41. Last one. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we've we've gushed about the pitching a lot, so we'll, we'll skip the rotation and the bullpen. We'll just do one more here because I yeah. think this is another polarizing one. John Schneider. Mm-hmm. What would you assess and how would you, what grade would you assign John Schneider for his first half in his first full season as the manager? Well, despite not knowing how many games they played, <laughs> I, I, I rather like the job that John Schneider's done. I'm going to give him the same grade that I gave the front office, okay. which is a B minus. I enjoy how he's always positive, despite many fans, I think, clamoring for more honesty. The fact of the matter is we don't know what he says to the team. And I think that not airing your dirty laundry in the media, I really do believe that there's something to be said for that. Obviously, they had that one, if you recall, that one little moment about the players only meeting. Yeah. And you could see it rubbed some of those guys the wrong way because he outed it to the media. Exactly. And that that was that was only uh, to your point. The only moment I think we've seen from him where it was a bit of a dissent. Right. Of some kind. Right. And I think what the what the front office has done, you brought over a lot of veteran leadership this offseason. And I think there's something to be said for the players, for the most part, handling those sorts of things themselves within the clubhouse. So I think it. They they have they have asked John Schneider to be the smooth hand that guides this franchise forward, and I think he's done an excellent job in the media with that. Obviously, he's had some high-profile gaffes, namely coming out for a mound visit for Alec <laughs> Manoa. Like that, obviously, cannot happen. We know that there have been day-to-day lineup issues. There have been day-to-day bullpen moves that maybe I've disagreed with. But on the whole, you're not going to find a single manager in all of Major League Baseball where you're not going to have those exact issues with. those exact The lineup day-to-day, the bullpen moves. You can find flaws with every single manager. And that's why I find it kind of ridiculous to really you know, look down upon the job a manager has done. So I think for the most part, John Schneider's did a pretty good job, and B-minus is where I'm going. We're pretty close. I yeah. got a C-plus. Yeah. I think he's had his moments where he's really struggled. Uh, and it's noticeable. He's had those viral gaffes, as you've talked about. Um, I, my prevailing takeaway, though, still, when I and we've we talked about the inconsistencies on both sides here and there. My prevailing takeaway is the whole premise of, you know, John Schneider replacing Charlie Montoyo and the changes they made in terms of even the personnel. Everything has been about making this more serious. Like mm-hmm. the the focus needs to be more about winning and less about the fun. And they take away the home run jacket and all these things. And yet it's still, to me, a very unserious team because they make errors and mistakes, especially on the bases, 
that you shouldn't make if you're a team that's legitimately thinking about winning games. You cannot give away free outs, and this team does it too frequently. To me, some of that has to fall on the manager and the way that you're... Because we never see these guys get disciplined either. Like, they're never being disciplined for making these mistakes other than John Schneider going over and being like, hey, pal, like, uh, you know, you made a mistake. Like, other than that, he's never. we're never seeing guys pull from games. We're never seeing guys sit, getting sat down and said, hey, you cannot do that. And I... Look, and I'm a big Whit Merrifield guy. He just runs into too many outs. And I love Whit. And I'm mm-hmm. a big proponent of Whit. I think he should be in the uh, in the lineup every day. He should be f- featured prominently, whether even possibly hitting leadoff and moving Springer down, all these things. But when those mistakes happen, you got to have repercussions for those actions. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. So in terms of policing the team, he's got the respect of that group, no question. But at times, I feel like he can do a better job of making sure that he stays on top of those things. And also the urgency factor. There's too many times, and we 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 joked about it, but for me, I, I hear I can't. I listen to the post every day, and I'm like, John, can you for once come out and please say, our approach stinks, our approach sucks, or we made a bad mistake here, and that cannot happen. We cannot tolerate that. And I feel like at times he's missed the boat and missed the mark in those areas. Look, I. <laughs> People in New York would have said last year they would have been a Buck Showalter. Unbelievable. Yeah. Look what they're saying about him now. So I get it changes quickly, and really you're at the at the mercy of your players. But C-plus for me. That's where I'm at with John Schneider. C-plus. Serviceable, not fantastic. No, I, I think it's fair. Uh, and I think the attention to detail was something that they talked about ad nauseum oh. during, during spring training. And we saw the behind-the-scenes footage of John <laughs> Schneider giving speeches where he said, okay, attention to detail is the key for this season. And we're going to go to the next level and all this stuff. And that is a very fair criticism. I, I put more pressure on the players when it comes to actually executing because there's no question if – Attention to detail was a focus during spring training. There's only so much that John Schneider can do. He's not the one playing. So sure. that's why we put more responsibility on the players actually executing on the field. But to your point, you're right. Like if that's what you're preaching and you're not following through on the field, there have to be some sort of repercussions. I'll go back to what I said earlier in the sense that we don't know what's being said off camera. There are plenty of cameras in the dugout. So I'm not sure from a manager perspective, <laughs> you want to just be reaming out your players in the dugout. Why not? Every, It'd be fun. Everybody's watching. <laughs> it would be incredible entertainment and we have seen it in the past, but in this case, I think he's got uh, such a good relationship. So much of managing in baseball is managing relationships, For egos, sure. players on the team. And we don't know how that's going, which makes it so hard to judge a manager. All we can really look at is, to your point, how the players are executing the message and the lineup and the bullpen decisions. And that, and really, it just makes it hard to, to grade a manager until they're gone and you start hearing all the, the dirty laundry about it. 100%. No, that's totally fair. Um, man, We, I mean, I think we did a good job of breaking it down and going through different different touch awesome. points with this team up until this point. Um the Jays made a draft pick last night. Arjun Namala, 20th overall. We'll touch on that a little bit later. Canada losing in the CONCACAF Gold Cup quarterfinals. Alex DeBrinkett's going to Detroit. We've got Frank Saravalli on later. We're going to talk to him about that. Lots to come here on the Fan Morning Show. Daniele and Jesse, let's take a bit of a break. When we come back, we will do the A-list. I will honor A-list, and we will continue the tradition of keeping the A-list alive. So let's take a break. A-list after this. Sportsnet 590, 590, The Fan. Now, it's time for hey, yo. the A-List. Bing bong, bing bong, bing bong. What's up, baby? Oh, I like hearing that track. It's different from this seat, I gotta admit. 
Usually I'm behind the glass with Josh, Elaine, Armin, our crew behind the glass there. So this is different. A-list time, Jesse. A-list time. We're going to honor A-list. Keep it going. I, I bet. Here's my here's my guess. Yeah. I bet they're going to do it on the show in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, but either way, we're still going to do it. And yeah. we're going to keep it going because it's a staple on this show. That's the key. It's on this show. It's a staple. Are you a big video game guy, Jesse? Yes. Oh, you are? Be- better than I or uh, more than I'd like to admit. Oh. But I guess I just did. Oh, it's, so, what, what, what's wrong with that? I don't know. It just, it just feels like, you know, I'm over I'm over 30 now. I don't know how much I should be playing video games. That's okay. time, but you know what? It's a hobby. It's a hobby. You know, my game is FIFA right now. Like, oh, I'm, locked, I'm, locked in on, I'm locked in on FIFA. There you go. So mostly sports games or a variety? Mostly sports games. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm a sports guy. So yeah! apparently... <laughs> that's okay you know what we need a lot of nerds in the world all right we need nerds in the world that's good um parent and I'm, I'm a video game guy too mostly sports games always been yeah. that way austin matthews apparently a bit of a video game guy too here and there he is. um the game of choice is obviously nhl um he had this to say on a recent podcast that he did i found it interesting <laughs> in terms of who he's had the opportunity the privilege of whipping in nhl your boy Bieber, he's a big Chell fan. Have you ever played with him? I have. I actually, I've got a good story about that. Uh-oh. I played him. I kind of waxed him. Oh. And uh, we haven't played since. Oh. Yeah. He One doesn't, and done, he doesn't huh? like when I bring it up. I think he actually rage quit. I'm not going to lie. Wow. So Justin Bieber rage quits Chell games. JB, I've got your number in Chell. I haven't played since I played you. And it was an absolute schlacking. So come and find me and uh, we'll get this rematch going. Did he get some free Drew House gear too from that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> like, I mean, that's the way to go if you're Austin Matthews. My question off of this, Jesse, is there any celebrity, if you could pick any celebrity, who would you want to play if you had the opportunity? One game, NHL 23. I think that's the one that's on now. Obviously, 24 will be coming out next season. One celebrity, who would you pick? Who would you want to play against? Probably Tiger Woods in some oh. form of the old Tiger game. Oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. That was the game that I played growing up probably the most was the tiger woods pga tour games nice and he's far and away my favorite athlete of all time it's not really even close so when i think about who i'd want to play and who i'd want to be like i think if you were to say that you beat tiger woods in anything that would be pretty Mm. impressive and i don't know if we're in the same room or if it's like we're talking to each other over headset (laughs) or whatever in different locations but like if i can find a way to set that up and beat tiger that's where i'm going that'd be be pretty nice feather in the cap for sure okay so i was thinking more i was thinking along the lines of nhl in particular and one that popped in my it's a guy that was actually featured in the game a few years ago snoop dogg Mm. I feel like it'd be a fun time to play a video that game would with be Snoop. Fun. Now, he might be smoking a thing or two. <laughs> I won't indulge, but he might, and that's okay. I think it would be a lot of fun. So Snoop Dogg, for me, I, would be would be my pick. But credit, credit to Austin Matthews for uh, for taking care of Biebs on the sticks there. Um, I have a trivia question for you as Uh-oh. well. Okay. okay. All Go right. For it. Let's see. Let's test your – it's sports. Let's see how we, how we do here. In North America, Jesse, mm-hmm. every year mm-hmm. there are only two days on the sports calendar when none of the big four sports are playing and have games. What are the two days? Two days on the sports calendar where nobody plays. Yep. And um, it's for a reason we're doing it now. But, I mean, can you guess the two days? There's only two. Yeah. It's where nobody plays. Where there's none of the big four sports happening. No it's, games. It's the the day before... The All-Star Game, the MLB All-Star Game? Yeah. And Christmas Eve? No. You're close. You're close. You got one half. 
day before and day after. Day after the All Star yeah. game. People See, play on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. The only. It's not like I've been in the sports industry for like <laughs> fifteen years. I've attended. I can. I can attest. I've even like Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. I remember attending games, and the NBA does it. I think the NHL is off, but the NBA will do it where they have those early games in the day. Right. Right. And they have right. it as like a matinee leading in, or they have that little six That's PM right. start so that you get a both everybody can get home nicely. My thought process was that I know that they play on Christmas Day. Yep. And I feel like they take a break the day before, but obviously I'm wrong. But you know what? What I'll chalk that up to is it being six fifty three in the morning. I'm not usually up at this hour, so yeah. there you go. <laughs> I'm I'm wide awake. This is prime time. This is prime time for us. But yes, uh, so there we go. And, and that you know, all of that came to my mind yesterday too, because I was thinking it's always a missed opportunity for the CFL to never have a game on the Wednesday. Mm-hmm. This year, it's week six of the season. They have Hamilton and Edmonton on Thursday and then Toronto and Montreal on Friday. Right. No game on the Wednesday where it's a standalone. They would be the focus of, of the of the sports universe because there's nothing else happening on that day in particular. Wait a second. What's your what's your video game? My video game? Uh-huh. Uh, well, right, right now, it's probably the show. The MLB show the is show. a great game. NBA 2K oh, has always done, been another Have one. you done a derby yet with the, uh, oh, with the named well, participants? No, no. I haven't done it with this crew yet. I did it. Oh, did you? I did it okay. over the weekend. Oh, nice. Uh, who won it? I think it was... Uh, it wasn't Vladdy. <laughs> it wasn't Vladdy. I think it was probably Pete Alonzo. Okay. Makes but sense. But you know what? It's so easy to hit home runs with him because he's like 99, yes. 99 power. And the guy treats the home run derby like Joey Chestnut treats his competitions. Hey. Like it's, it's out of control. Like the guy is, he lives for home run derbies. He circles it on the calendar. He says, I'm going to make sure I am peaking yep. for the home run derby, yes. which is incredible. So yeah, I think it was Peter Alonso who won mine. Joey Chestnut, 16 time mustard belt champion. Yeah. He won the eighth straight last week. He'd be on an remarkable. He's already on a remarkable run. Historically good run. He had one year. There was an anomaly. Mm-hmm. His name was uh, Matt Stoney, this guy from California that beat him. And I, what I just, I always, I'm like, damn it, I rue the day where Joey Chestnut would be sitting on a streak of like 15, 16 in a row here, which is pretty crazy. What happened to Kobayashi? Where is he? Oh, uh, he's not allowed to compete in this thing. He's, not, he's out? He's, he's not permitted. He's getting older too. He's he's out of the game. But yes, there's a big <laughs> rule where he's not permitted to compete in the Nathans. He's out of the He's out of the game. He's out of the game. Godfather <laughs> of competitive <laughs> eating as I look it up on Wikipedia. Yeah, he's, he's out of the game. He's out of the game right now. Joey Chestnut is the king of competitive eating. Um, on the other side, I don't know if he's a king of competitive eating. Uh, probably not. But Or if he's a fan of it at all. But Aaron Rose. Nice. Big basketball guy. Aaron Rose, Raptors reporter from Sports Illustrated. He's going to join us on the other side of the break. Sports 590 fan, the fan morning show. We'll be back after this.